Hi everyone, thank you so much for being the loyal listeners of this podcast. My name is Thomas Noto Suaneto, the founder and host of this podcast. For you, the new listeners, this podcast is designed to bring to you candid and constructive discussion on many important international issues from politics, economy, law, security, feminism, and others. And usually it's it's conducted through interviews with uh, so many important and outstanding foreign policy stakeholders from academicians researchers ambassadors diplomats and even young foreign policy analysts or enthusiasts drop me a chat on my linkedin and be connected at thomas notosuaneto and also drop us a message if you have any ideas for the further episodes at foreign policy talks podcast on Instagram. So, enjoy the conversation. Hi, listeners of Boss Talks Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Uh, and this is Noto again. Uh, apologize uh, for not uploading the new episode for about one week or more. I, I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, I, I quite for, um, I'm quite forget about the, the, the exact days. But anyways, uh, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, after about two years of doing this podcast, I was not really you know, thinking about having an episode talking about vaccine or talking about COVID pandemic uh, and how to end the pandemic, for instance. And today, this is the time for me to to do that. And uh, I'm very honored and humbled of having Karina Joe, which is the senior scientist at the University of Oxford, one of the scientists that is involved in the AstraZeneca vaccine development. Let me Say hi to her. Hi, Karina. How are you doing? Hi, Noto. I'm, I'm quite well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, but very busy this time. But thank you so much, Karina, for making your time. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. <laughs> right. So, Karina, we're going to have a very interesting topic today. We're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. vaccine. I mean, the COVID itself is not interesting. But anyway, uh, we want to make uh, my listeners to understand more about the development of COVID and also maybe some dynamics about uh, or issues about vaccine, Karina, because you're very experienced on that, right? And um, let me start by inviting you to introduce to my listeners. So what's ex- exactly your role at AstraZeneca and what... Uh, you know, how, how do you involve uh, yourself there? How do I inform myself? So uh, my role is the lead scientist for the process development for the large-scale manufacturing of Oxford AstraZeneca vaccines. So I'm, so I'm the inventor of the large-scale manufacturing process for the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccines. And how do I get uh, to be involved in the project? So first I was recruited to be in some other project. So I actually arrived in Oxford like two, three months before the pandemic. So the Oxford University hired me to to do another project 
which is also involved in some kind of large-scale manufacturing of vaccine. But at the time, the vaccine is not COVID vaccine because we don't know there'll be another there'll be a pandemic. But I was involved in the rabies vaccines, large-scale manufacturing, because my group was in charge in uh, the clinical trial of the rabies vaccine in Tanzania and in UK. Mm. So three months into the project, uh, we heard there's an outbreak in China. And so my boss uh, uh, informed me in the beginning that uh, I think we might need to change our focus because the COVID vaccine now is needed quite urgently because we have already set up the clinical trial and they also aim for the commercial release after that but there's no large-scale manufacturing process for the COVID vaccine so and I was the only one who was working in the large-scale manufacturing in General Institute at the moment so the, there's no other expert in the area so yeah so for that for so, that reason I had to switch the project so at the time you were involved in this uh, vaccine development, so you studied in, in, in Oxford? So no, I didn't study in Oxford. So I finished my master and PhD in Australia. Right. So I, after I finished my studies, my PhD studies, but at the same time, I also uh, work full-time as an intern in the company. It's like a government laboratorium. Uh, government laboratory it's called csro commonwealth scientific industrial research organizations uh, it happens that the lab that i work as an internet is like they work mostly for large-scale large-scale uh, manufacturing of biological products so i work as an intern for seven years there so i'm familiar in how uh, the process of manufacturing of biological project, including the vaccines. But at the time, I didn't work for viral vector. I mostly work with protein or virus-like particle or right. monoclonal antibodies. But I know how to make uh, uh, most of the process for uh, cell culture and, and tissue culture product uh, into human. Very interesting. And I think, you know, like Indonesians are very proud of you and because you're involved in this a very important uh, vaccine development, right, at, at AstraZeneca. So allow me to uh, give you some more questions about that, Karina. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just want to know, like, uh, since the first time that you know there is a COVID outbreak in China, so uh, how long does it take for you and your team at the University of Oxford to actually develop the vaccine until it's uh, you know, uh, feasible to be used by, by the public? So it's actually less than a year. So I we heard about the outbreak in China in January, but at the time, uh, the university hasn't decided to develop the vaccine. So my boss actually made the proposal to the big group leader in general institute uh, to uh, persuade them to uh, develop this vaccine because he needs he thinks that uh, we had the platform technology and we have the means for the clinical trial but mm -hmm. at the time most of the group leader was concentrating in developing another vaccines like ebola and mers 
So my boss was adamant that this vaccine is important, and then in in February, you see the the situation is getting worse. That worse was getting worse, not getting better. So yeah, fortunately, yeah, they, he had he already convinced some of the group leader in Jena Institute, and uh, in February we also had the construct for the vaccines, and then I was able to work with the actual vaccine in February. And then the release of the vaccines to the uh, patients, I mean, the actual patients, not the clinical trial uh, patient is around January the following year. So it's less than a year. Wow. So uh, so it's true, yeah. This is the fastest uh, development of vaccines so far. Yeah. <laughs> Recorded wow. in the history, yes. Right. That's awesome. I mean, it's so unfortunate, right, that we have this COVID pandemic around the globe and there are so many people infected, even many uh, friends and families are passed away because of this. And uh, I mean, I don't want to get back to that with the, with the rising uh, cases of uh, COVID with other variants of Delta and so on and so forth. But I just want to jump into to the situation that happened today, Karina. Uh, as you know that uh, today we have an Omicron variant outbreak, uh, which which are which is facing a lot of countries, including Indonesia, in the, in the last few months. Uh, many speculate that that this another there is another variant will be hitting many countries sometime soon. I'm not sure about that. I'm I'm sure that your team has a lot of knowledge on this, right? And. How do you think this COVID mutation will end, uh, Karina? Can we have a specific answer for that? And would you please share to the listeners on rumors that are wrongly shared uh, to the public about COVID mutation? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, there is another variant other than Omicron. Is there another sub-variant of the Omicron? And how this mutation is going to end? I don't think the this mutation is going to end. I think this coronavirus is quite clever in evading the immune immune response and our body immune health uh, train uh, immune system from the vaccines. I think this uh, type of virus is gonna be integrated in the community just like the flu. So it will not com be completely disappear in, in, in the community, but it will mutate in some kind of other form. Mm. Hopefully it will be less uh, severe than it was before, just like the flu. Mm. Yeah, but it will be, I think the virus is here for stay, for to stay. Right, so it, it will not be fully ended, yeah? It will not be fully gone. Yeah. Uh, so it will be just uh, mild uh, as, as, as flu, right? And yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, because there's two ways of mutation of this. We, we don't really, we cannot really predict uh, where this virus is going to mutate. We, we just, we, we can just monitor and do the surveillance in the community by uh, sequencing. But yeah, there's two ways of mutation it can go. Right. Uh, other than it can be more severe or it can uh, prioritize the spread of it and to persist in the community. If the virus wants to persist in the community, they will like uh, have to weaken uh, the severity of the symptoms. 
uh, in order for the fires to persist in the community. I think hopefully it will be the second option. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Koina, uh, did you and your team at the University of Oxford predict that COVID will be this long? Um, in the beginning, uh, they didn't think that the outbreak will be this long. Mm. But uh, there's a blunder in 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 uh, the prediction, of course. I mean, I mean it's it's been complicated by a lot of factors, such as the rate of vaccination and, of course, the the gap in vaccination around the world. So in, it allows a lot of mutations arise from the country that has not uh, conducted the vaccination quite early. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very huge problem, right, at the beginning, yeah. or even in the middle of a COVID pandemic, whether the vaccine is fairly distributed right to many parts of the world and how to access this vaccine and i'm quite sure that astrazeneca is quite accessible right uh, especially to countries uh, that have good cooperation with uh, with the uk and um so how many how much doses that astrazeneca has produced so far uh kind of uh, Astrazeneca has uh, produced and distributed almost uh under three billion doses so far three billion doses wow and it's involved with covax right so it's uh, distributed to many part of uh, world which are uh, least developed and developing uh, nations yeah i mean uh, we are proud that our faction is the most used in the covax uh, countries and especially it's been uh, produced and mostly used in low middle income countries because of, of course our vaccines uh, was distributed without profit oh wow yeah awesome so um you know i'm i'm always asking this to many politicians uh, and and also people who are involved in politics not only politicians but i think this question is interesting if i ask you um you know you are someone who is directly involved in the global health recovery through vaccine development what things surprised you from the pandemic Karina? uh what are the biggest lessons learned that you you want to share to the listeners from the covid pandemic what things that surprised me the most are like the the country with the most developed national healthcare or most developed uh, healthcare system doesn't really fare well during the pandemic uh, compared to uh, the developing countries. And uh, the lesson learned is like if the scientific community works together, we can do great things, we can do uh, uh, impossible things. And that. Uh, Third lesson learned, like, like not, uh, not everyone is treated equally. Mm. Uh, so the thing that surprised you is um, uh, even deaf club nations are uh, also vulnerable to this um, to this crisis, right? Yeah, to this crisis. I mean, yeah, the pandemic doesn't happen once. I mean, this is not the first time the pandemic happens, but most of the developed country may not learn from the past that they still has not uh, 
not fully prepared in mm. facing another pandemic. Why why do you think it's, it's happening like that, uh, Karina? Is it because of the less cost towards science or what do you think is the main reason? The, the main reason is uh, most of the vaccines, I, I think, uh, I think the, in the scientific community, uh, I think you should, I mean, uh, as a scientist, I, I know the vaccine is not a popular area in, in the scientific community. One, because it, because it doesn't really make profit because most of the vaccine there is, uh, there's the disease that is triggered to make the vaccine is mostly are in the developing countries and they were not, uh, they were not produced to make profit. So most of the pharmaceutical industry is not really uh, interested in making vaccines because it's a problem for the low middle income countries uh, uh, to deal with. Uh, I think the, the COVID is one of the exception because not only low middle income country, but also the high income country was also affected uh, in this pandemic. So uh, most of the, uh, the major program was already making billions in distributing the vaccines. But yeah, because the vaccines and prevention was not the major concern of most of the yeah, health purpose in in the developed countries. So it was not it was not uh, the major focus. Yes, I understand. Yeah, even even in in many ways, uh, many nations, not only developed ones are prioritizing more on the economic issues right uh, out of this pandemic not not the health sector right yeah but yeah. anyway uh, we're not going to touch that um i probably would like to follow up with this issue kind of uh you know that when we talk about vaccine there's some trends of growing vaccine nationalism right there's some you know like preference and selection of which vaccine that should be used in the country, right? For instance, when I talk with my friends in, in, in Japan uh, and they don't like, I mean, they don't want to use even uh, Chinese uh, made uh, vaccine, right? And in many countries, I believe that there are some, uh, you know, similar uh, perspective towards any certain vaccine. So what do you think about this vaccine nationalism across the globe? I think this uh, vaccine nationalism is not a new thing. It's, it's been happening before and it's uh, also happening now. It's quite a worrisome trend, but it's also, yeah, I think it's, it's a worrisome trend, but it will, it, will, it will also be happening in the future. And one is uh, a bit worrisome because like, when we talk about the vaccine, we uh, we speak about the data, but some of this country that is producing the vaccines uh, showing a very quite a worrisome practice of approving the vaccine without actually having a real data to dis distribute. So I think there's a base. Uh, worry of using those kind of vaccines as well. 
Right. So do you think that's because of um, COVID is very much politicized? I mean, everything, yeah, everything other than the COVID is politicized at these days. Even the choice of going with which partner in the industry to produce the vaccine is one uh, the government will have the say in deciding on the matter. Mm. Right. Because, yeah. So um, let me bring you the, uh, the, the issue of vaccine development in Indonesia, Karina. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, both of us are Indonesians, so let's talk about this. Uh, so President Jokowi, as you know, at many occasions has conveyed his vision to bring Indonesia to strengthen the global health architecture. Um, you know, this is one of the post-pandemic vision that he has mentioned many times, right? He wants Indonesia to strengthen this uh, part. In your view, how big is the potential of Indonesia and what sectors or issues in the health area that Indonesia should prioritize first uh, in, the, in the foreseeable future? Uh, yeah, I think Indonesia has a very big uh, potential for this global health architecture strengthening because Indonesia is a big country. It has around 300 million people in population. I mean, uh, the country with such a large human resource will have a limitless uh, potential mm. in in this health uh, industry. So I think the uh, the first area that uh, I think the most urgent in the, in need of strengthening is the the surveillance, the monitoring of the disease or virus or any bacterial kind of that will cause the problem firsthand. The surveillance. More, yeah, the surveillance, the monitoring, uh, mostly the, the sequencing. Right. So um, do, you, do you sense any, I mean, uh, capacities of us to, to do more, uh, to strengthen our surveillance system? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the thing that you need for surveillance is mostly a human resource, the one who's actually taking the samples from the populations. So it should be a trained individual that can carry out the procedures correctly. And also the sequencing machine that is now, I think the government is trying to purchase from the, uh, the producer of the equipment. Uh, and then also how to read the results. This also can be trained. And mostly it's now um, can be automatically uh, disappear from from the yeah the software that the, the company sold while they're uh, providing the machines. And mostly those results can be interpreted by by informaticians that also can be trained. Right. So, so all, all, only need the two things for, uh, three things for, for those is the facilities, the, the equipment and the, the people. The human resources, yeah. yeah. Right. So um, do, do you know any information where government is actually uh, going towards this way and trying to develop our capacities of our human resources to, to develop such thing? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, uh, recently, like the Minister of Health um, came around to UK, and then I think they have made a certain movement to strengthening the global surveillance of the disease in Indonesia. Like, I think it. I think the, uh, the government is trying to purchase some kind of machines, and I think. Uh, they also struck a deal of how to train the Indonesian scientists and how to use the machine and how to interpret the data. That's awesome. Looking forward to that. And I'm very excited that we can actually play a bigger role right, in, in terms of a global health recovery at the post-pandemic time. And um, I'm very happy, actually, after hearing a, a, a news that Indonesia is, is now working with the World Health Organization to develop a vaccine production hub. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong in understanding that news, but you can you can tell us after this. But what I know, uh, Karina, because I'm also involved uh, at the G20 Indonesian presidency, particularly at the business engagement group, um, that we promote uh, the same vision to also develop uh, vaccine hubs in, 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 in the country to, um, you know, and it's not only the, the concern of business engagement group, but also uh, I saw it at the health working group, which is under the health ministry of Indonesia. So in your opinion, uh, Karina, how urgent is it for Indonesians to actually owning one uh, vaccine hub or vaccine production hub and how much will it contribute to the national and regional health? And uh, if I may give you another question, uh, what to consider in making COVID vaccine manufacture feasible in Indonesia? So the first question is first. Uh, so what, uh, sorry, what was the first question again? Sorry. How urgent is it? If how to, urgent, okay. So it depends on the purpose. Uh, how urgent is it the vaccine hub? If we are talking about the vaccine manufacturing hub, uh, yeah, it's also complicated by several things. Mm. Like uh, the government in power now consider the vaccine hub is important. Of course, we will have, we will need the vaccine hub, not only not only now but also in the future. But making. Uh, a vaccine hub is not as simply as a baking a cake. So you have the recipes now and then you bake a cake. Then tomorrow you get a cake. Oh, I like this. <laughs> and it's, it's like, it's a continuous effort. So wow. the research is done by many years of scientists uh, community works on the same thing. And, and then now they have the technology uh how urgent is it uh, if now the the government in power wants to have the vaccine hub and after that uh the new government in power thinks they don't need the vaccine hub then then the effort will be useless so how urgent is now if they can make it before the new government come in power then uh, is it quite urgent because yeah the, the 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 new vaccine hub needs a lot of support from the government so it's not like a one 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 only one time thing 
So yeah. yeah. So you're very concerned on its sustainability, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But in, as you said, Indonesia has a potential, right? I mean, we have a, I think we have, you know, many good sample on, on working on many vaccines, right? And we have a lot of uh, diseases and problems on health that I think we should take care seriously. Yes, I mean, uh, Indonesia is like 300 million population and then we have a lot of genetic diversity in itself is already a very rich source of information that a lot of pharmaceutical industry wanted from us. But the problem is how we utilize it and use it to our advantage. So uh, talking about the feasibility, uh, Karina, uh, you said that it actually needs uh, you know, many years of research and uh, development, innovation, technology, and so on and so forth. But how, do you think like one or two years is actually feasible for Indonesia to have one? I mean, it's 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 not simply like we we need to invent the technology. The technology is already there, so mm. we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need the technology transfer from the company uh, which already has the technology if they are willing to um, uh, to transfer their technology and to master this kind of manufacturing process of different technology. Of vaccines, not only vaccines, maybe um, we, there are some kind of the other therapeutic biological product like monoclonal antibodies or some kind of drug or treatment that mm. can be also incorporated in this uh, hub. So um, the like reinventing a technology takes like ten to twenty years, but uh, things like technology transfer can be done in less than a year. So we don't need to reinvent the, the, the wheel. We just have to collaborate with the industry or the lab or university or government that owns the technology. Right, I understand. And I think in terms of human resources, I think we are quite capable for that, right? And yeah, yeah, we are, we are more than capable. I mean, Indonesia is a smart country. Uh, most of them already work in the very high level pharmaceutical or industry right so in terms of finance i think we can do many ways right to to make it visible so yeah so excited to to actually see one and so to to ensure that there is a there is a health security right uh mm -hmm. in, in in the country but not only for like for indonesia i think for countries in the region for southeast asia so thank you so much karina for the conversation it was very insightful i learned a lot from you do you want to share to the listeners on things that you're working on now or is it a secret <laughs> no it's not a secret i mean uh, for now i'm still i'm still uh doing the continuous improvement on, on the large-scale manufacturing process because now we are uh yeah because of the we are aware of the vaccine nationalism so we always try to decentralize this manufacturing hub so we are now uh, making the vaccine in 25 manufacturing facilities in 15 different countries in five different continents so we are aware that there's a vaccine nationalism that so we put this manufacturing hub in uh, a lot of countries so these countries can take care of the supply for their own country also supplying for the neighboring countries so Hopefully, it will uh, alleviate some of the problem with this uh, vaccine supplies. 
and also I'm working towards the more efficient, high yield producing uh, manufacturing process, so we can actually achieve our goals much more sooner. So, mm. uh, for those countries who hasn't had the access to the vaccines, can have have some more supplies of our vaccines. And also, I'm also working to establish this manufacturing hub inside the university. So that's a we work to establish a, a team that works toward the process development of not only the vaccines but also a lot of biological products that is necessary uh, for other drugs, vaccines, or any kind of treatment inside the university. Wow. Let's keep up your good work, uh, Kaina, and excited to see more news from you from AstraZeneca. And I mean, I don't want to see more news about COVID. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have enough of it, right? <laughs> yes, we have enough COVID. Please stop, right? And uh, please move on, right? We have a lot of issues that we need to work on, right? And uh, hopefully more people are vaccinated, right? And uh, we're mm -hmm. going to, you know, like move uh, towards a healthier world and i mean this is the dream of many people and thank you so much karina for your contribution i do really appreciate that i'm sure that our listeners now who are listening are clapping their hands of uh, of uh, your contributions to to our world and thank you so much karina thank you for having me this uh, evening <laughs> Right, and hope to see you again and can't wait to invite you one more time next time. See you. Right. See you.